This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. <laughs> this will be my first English-speaking podcast of the year, just for your information. Really? Well, you're crushing it. Is it your second language, or are you first and then speak other languages as well? I was morphing into two first languages. <laughs> right wow, now, I've got English is my first language, but uh, I've been living here in Germany so long that um, I've had to learn how to speak it and read it and write it. So I've become a, you know, a North American German soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, we will welcome Frank Jacob to the show. My brother, it's cool to see you, man. All the ways, of course, just for everybody in the audience here to find him will be located down below. Director, researcher, presenter, influencer. I'm going to talk to you about what that word means. Uh, all that stuff linked below, guys. You're a director for Red Bull, which we're going to talk about how cool shit that is and all the cool projects and movies that you've got going. Brother, it's an honor, honestly, to connect with you. We are uh, have a mutual friend and brother in uh, Daniel, Daniel Beckman of the Flying Chariots, The Rise. Such a cool fucking show, man. So... I wanted just to welcome you here and give you the opportunity to introduce yourself for the audience that may not be too familiar, if you don't mind. Well, thanks for having me, Brandon. It's good to be here and uh, welcome everybody to 2024, or at least the Gregorian version. Um, yeah, what do I say? I mean, asking me to speak about myself. Okay, um, literally, I you know you covered a lot of it there in just a couple of sentences. I come out of the entertainment music i guess you could say was my first um love in a way and and then came filmmaking and i just kind of morphed over the years from um different levels of professionalism i've been involved in all aspects of media production from you know driving the nails into a wall of a recording studio and pouring concrete to turning the knobs and understanding with signal flow and by extension, the signal flow into the visual world and then came filmmaking and I fell in love with making films because of the power of expression that filmmaking gives you because it's the combination of visuals, audio, information, music, ambience, everything. It's just a real powerful expression. Um, at one point, I even developed a live cinema version of cinema. That's not a word. Not, that's not a word many people know what it means but it really is literally kind of creating cinematic expression on a stage in front of an audience uh, which is kind of a whole level of stress all on its own um, and this kind of led me toward people that were working at uh, you mentioned it also red bull and i ended up getting into working at that company for several years and producing one of their kind of hit shows called ultimate rush that got me into the idea of storytelling and particularly what interested me about that particular show was that it was speaking with art literally sports artists you could call them because they always had these projects um and these projects were like deadly you know they would like go to south antarctica on some peak and you know and, and climb like a wall free right if something happens there you're kind of over so you know that introduced me to the idea of why humans would do this kind of thing and i was i had a long kind of um run up to that and one of the interests that i've had parallel to everything is metaphysics spirituality 
And so I would always try to bring that aspect into these stories because a lot of athletes never get asked questions about spiritual things. They just get asked, you know, what's your schedule? When's your next race? What are you worried about with the competition, et cetera, right? So anyway, long story short, I sort of went through that and realized, okay, there's limitations there. I wanted to get into larger, longer expression documentary filmmaking and bring in all the different talents I have which were, you know, like I said, music, et cetera, and sound and understanding the whole way of putting it together on a really high level, but bring that into kind of the more fringe, you know, the fringe level of subjects, right? Because most of the time, at least when I was starting, you had a lot of films out there on YouTube that were dealing with fringe stuff, but they were so badly shot and the quality was horrible. And there's something about that that gives people a feeling that it can't be taken seriously because nobody's really investing in them a level of production to make it worthwhile on a cinematic level. So that was kind of my inspiration to make my first sort of cr crazy fringe film, uh, like feature length film, which was turned out to be packing for Mars. And uh, during the course of making that, I ran into a, a very um, beautiful and talented production partner by the name of Tanya Maidenford. And the two of us got together and completed that film and many others, including some like Solar Revolution and Klaus Donner Chronicles. And uh, it just kind of evolved from there. And once you start down that road, you know, you go down into the rabbit hole, you begin meeting a lot of really bizarre characters and uh, informative people, really intelligent people, people you don't know whether you can believe them or not. And it's a very, very precarious terrain to kind of be venturing into. Uh, and so I've been living in this room in this space of this kind of a of a world of like you know how much of it is real how much of it isn't real and the lines between fiction and non-fiction are very murky and i love that very much and i like to bring in those elements into all of my work because as i'm learning with my you know ex expanding knowledge in terms of quantum physics and all these things that I've, I've learned simply because I've had the honor to be able to sit at the feet of certain masters who told me these things in the course of directing films. You get to ask these people the kind of questions like a uh, like a curious kid, you know, you want to know how does that work? So, you know, over years of doing that, you just kind of develop all these um, interests and information bits. And, and uh, so, yeah, that's kind of a really fast track version of it. And I think the culmination of it was probably last year where the most people got to know me or found out about me because of a, um, a story that I broke about a group calling themselves the Guardians of the Looking Glass. And the Looking Glass was something that was part of the secret space program oriented fringe box that I was playing in a couple of, you know, several years earlier. So it was a natural to take that story and see where it had evolved into today. And that has led me kind of over the last year to be out there with timelines and quantum physics and pineal gland. And I've made webinars and all kinds of stuff. So there I am in 2024, Brandon. Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I'm so grateful, like I said, to connect with you. It's instant brotherhood here. And I knew this the second the camera clicked on. I was like, oh, yeah, it's good to see you again rather than nice to meet you kind of a thing. So, man, uh, so many things in here that I want to talk to you about. You're fascinating as hell. Um, and and same with the, what you're doing with your collaborations uh, as far as putting different skill sets together. That's what I see this podcast as. I wasn't a, really an audio engineer until I uh, did podcasting. I didn't do videos until I did podcasting, right? So it's this thing uh, that leads you down an amazing road of discovery, and that led you to some fascinating fringe topics. Now, uh, just curious here straight out the gate, did, that, did you have an interest in anything in the freaky woo-woo variety, as we say, before... Uh, being led down the path to make films about it? Well, you know, I mean, when I was, I think, 12, uh, I started to explore uh, metaphysical works. And I had, um, I remember running into a book, picking up a book at a library that had to deal with Billy Meyer, the guy called Billy Meyer, who's a, I think probably your audience knows who he is, but he's this Swiss guy with a long beard who only has one arm, who was filming allegedly filming UFOs in the 70s with this really cheap camera and photographing them. And those turned out to be, you know, they were investigated by, in this book, they were investigated by several people. I think Jim Delatoso was one of them and a couple of others that were interested in trying to figure out whether this is real or not. So they analyzed like the audio tapes, they analyzed the, the visuals for fake or fraud or whatever. Uh, and they, they never had a, they could never conclusively bust him. And I remember at that age, I was like, okay, well, obviously then it must be real if they can't bust them in my little mind. 
Uh, and I figured, okay, well, but in my life, I didn't know if I was going to pursue the UFO topic. I figured since these people were already on it, it wouldn't, would only be a matter of time before the truth of it came out, which of course now has been quite a few decades since then. <laughs> and we're still somehow sitting on the fence with that topic. Um, but that was kind of the first fringe thing, I guess you could say I was into, you know, aside from the metaphysics stuff, like I was into, into like, um, you know, I don't even like to use the word, but back then, you know, when you heard about someone like Jane Roberts channeling an entity called Seth, you know, it was before channeling became kind of a brand or like, a, you know, a commercialized version of whatever's going on in the world right now. Everyone's a channel now uh, and their brother or whatever. Um, so but back then it really had a profound impact on on a young, formative mind like mine. So that introduced me to all these things that led to the Carlos Castaneda and, you know, the Nagual and all these sort of ideas that there's this parallel world that exists that fascinated me. So that's kind of yeah, those are the two main pillars of I think kind of what formed me to go in that direction. What is your worldview as of this moment right now? What do you what do you think this place is? What do you think you are? What do you think your role in this thing is? Your relationship to it all? What do you think it is? Well, I see us very much as creator beings. Uh, like, you know, gods with a small g, if you want to put it that way. Uh, I believe very much that there is a creation that we aren't here by accident that there's um kind of a divine plan and the divine plan you know was i think most popularized in the world as something like the garden of eden and i think that idea of the garden of eden is something that we are pursuing in the sense that it's a place where you know there's an abundance there's peace um you know there's this whole interactive level that's on a very spiritual plane of existence and I think that that's where we're going and that's where we're trying to get to ever since then. It's like there was this fall, or you might say we were kicked out of the garden that had to do with this idea of us having to, you know, enter into matter, into physical matter and the, and the challenges that brings with it as you begin to navigate as a soul entering into spirit and to matter, you, you begin to confront issues that lead to ego and competition and all these things that we've gone through in our history in our in the history that we know at least uh that have led us to this point now where we're, we've reached a kind of a um a crossroads we are at a crux right now between realizing that um ultimate garden of eden goal on a physical level on a biological level with what we were given in terms of our bio hardware and on the other hand there's this aspect of uh, humanity which tries to copy the creative process and using you know the artificial world which embodies artificial intelligence and um, you know transcending the physical realm and I guess transhumanism is the key word here uh, and the noosphere there's this movement to take us there in that direction and these are kind of coming to a crux now because it never has been as um evident as it is now that we have reached the technological state where we will in the course of our lifetime easily brandon um have um a moment where one of those two timelines as i like to call them will prevail over the other in other words one will take a dominant force in the world one will be realized to the point where it crowds the other out and whatever, whoever is on the timeline that's being crowded out will probably survive for a while, but will be seen as a strange curiosity freak of nature for a while. And I'm very much so my role and where I see things at is right now is I think we need to reinforce to people that they are these amazing biologically um, capable uh, soul beings that are here to realize the first plan, the Garden of Eden, and not to succumb to what I see as being kind of a, um, you know, a jail of, of kind, like a, a limitation, like a, an environment, which although it offers us all of the sensory experiences, which they're trying to sell us are, you know, seductive, like, you know, unlimited lives, unlimited sexes, you know, unlimited everything. 
um, but in a way you'll still be limited to within the physical world whereas we are coming from outside of the physical realm we come from hyperspace and we have no limitations so by us taking that leap into that box we would pretty much enclose our consciousness into a glorious cage for who knows how long until someone cracked that cage and figured out a way back out of it so do you think we we chose to be here absolutely this idea uh castaneda talks about i'm grateful you brought him up about the um nagual but also the mud shadows the things that are here to either help you or hurt you these kind of ideas that there's a, there is like a force here that we can't see that's underpinning everything. It's a current of energy, and it feels more malevolent to me uh, than benevolent. And I've looked my whole life at this thing as benevolent, and I've done my damnedest to connect with something I'm not experiencing myself, as they say. Now I look at that. I'm grateful for that. I have uh, a long history and relationship with psychedelics, and in that way I've connected with quite a few things, and my third eye has been squeegeed very clean. But... The, this idea that really this place is not some awesome intergalactic um, like port where we chose to come, we chose all these cool experiences, we're, and then we're going to get to some 5D level to where everything's going to change, and then it's going to bring in this new era. I do not disagree with you that there is a, a shift occurring and that there is some deeper darkening to the darkness, right? It, it seems that this technocracy, this transhumanism is a way to sort of directly interface with whatever this thing is that seems to have a lot of interest in technology and its ability to sway our minds due to the thing's ability, whatever this is, right? The mud shadows is ability uh, and desire for perception management. It just wants you to think whatever that is not true. So what's fascinating about this process that I've uh, just kind of been along in this discovery is I've, I've heard a lot and I, I am appreciative of the ideas that this is uh, going to work out kind of a thing, you know what I mean? But I don't subscribe to it any longer. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I kind of look at this place more as, like you said, a box in a prison, but I don't see us as being here uh, of our own volition um, f due to many factors. And we can absolutely talk about those, but I'm just curious about what your thoughts are on that idea. Well, and I mean, in the sense of volition, okay, um, there's, you know, the, and the purest definition of that word is just, you know, is essentially it has to do with free will. And free will is the source of free will goes back to the idea of the creator being the ultimate creator, the creator of the universe that we're in. And the creator, in order to, the way I understand it, the way I perceive it, in order uh, for the creator to expand his con or its consciousness or its experiential level, it split itself up into all of, uh, fractally, you could say, into the universe that we perceive. And part of that had to do with, um, you could say, each of us being like a sliver or a splinter from the God, con the ultimate God consciousness or creator consciousness that was the source and entering into this physical world. And that was the first sort of um, attempt. Okay, the best, the best way to describe it is free will allows us to explore every aspect that we may encounter uh, to its fullest conclusion in order to bring that experience back home and, you know, and deposit it into whatever is the, you might call the database of consciousness, the Akashic record, um, there's different ways the field, you know, there's different ways to describe it. Quantum physics has a lot of, you know, just try, try to describe it a lot as well. Um, we had people like Michael Persinger describing it to us in terms of science and the brain and the human frequencies and how the, the human brain resonates with those. But essentially, and, and an interesting uh, definition I heard added to uh, this recently was the um, basically the original Aramaic Christian definition of reincarnation, which had to do with the fact that each of us living in a physical body, when we when the body expires, the consciousness that we were goes back to the Creator and basically, um, you know, stocks the the data bank with all that we were so that it can be recycled back into the next wave of consciousness, conscious beings in matter. So that's a way of describing physical matter and reincarnation. And in that sense, the um, the willingness is to do with the original plan of us to be here and to try and explore physicality, to map it out and to try and bring that information back for better or for worse, right? And so, you, I mean, I agree that 
the evidence is out there more that you know we are victims of the situation around us because for the most part most people's decisions aren't based from a place of empowerment but a place from reaction so they're getting they're getting experiences thrust at them from this perceivably outside world uh, which is necessary for them to be able to have an interaction to begin with and until you reach a certain state of consciousness or a certain acceptance of your beingness as a creator, you see yourself as a reaction or as a victim of the circumstances, as opposed to somebody who's um, can able to take that information in and say, okay, well, this is a piece of evidence or information that I've provided my higher self in order to understand the situation I'm in better. So I can choose how I want to respond in that situation. Do I want to respond like a victim or do I want to respond like somebody who's created that situation for a, for a particular reason? Whatever that reason may be, every one of us has a different mission in life, a different circumstance in life, but there are people that can be happy in the middle of a mud flat in Africa and happier than a millionaire sitting on Wall Street, right? So that it has nothing to do really with where you are, what kind of a body you have, what skin you're, you know, skin color you have. The experiences are just as powerful and real to everybody anywhere. Um, but the fact is that you're the fact that you're perceiving it alone already makes you an active participant. And I think you have to make the decision on you know are you are you creating this or are you just a reflection i hope that I'm, that made any sense no it did it was well explained and i like your point it's it's interesting because uh then then i uh, just sort of look at the idea that i am having a chosen experience if that is true then I'm, i've got a lot of it that i would like to be different not even in selfish ways just like simple ways um simple i want to know what it's like to levitate this bottle to my hand and then it doesn't. So like, what's that about? Like, it's a simple experience that I'd like to experience. It seems like a lot of what's here and what's offered is no, you know, like limitations, like authority, like, you know, you can't do that. No, no, no. I, I get that you're a creator, you're powerful, you're an awesome being, but no, 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 you're limited here. It's that sort of um, idea that bums me out, to be honest with you. And then also this idea that... Um, spirit or source wanted to break itself from unity consciousness, break itself into individuated pieces of consciousness to experience itself subjectively, sort of this solipsism idea where you're the only one here and everything else is just this part of you. I would have the question of like, how many times is, you know, an entity called source need to know what murder and rape and hor horrible crimes against humanity and children and awful things, like how many times does it want to experience that? And then whenever we start seeing it from our perspective, I just input this louche category. You know, Robert Monroe coined that term louche in his uh, book one time, and it just stuck. And it's this idea that you're just a an energy source for something else. And all these things that tell you that you're any different is sort of a consideration to keep you from that truth, right? Almost like the uh, illusion of this place is just cast over you constantly. So it's this idea that just I find fascinating. And, you know, I, I go back and forth with it, honestly. There's a beautiful middle ground there that I know I'll find somewhere being well out of the new age stuff, but then cast super far and through the dark tunnel or whatever, and then kind of out of that. I know that there's a balance point in there somewhere, but it's just great uh, getting to hear other perspectives on it. And you're very eloquent and cool to talk to. So thank you. Thanks. Well, you know, if I may offer something in that regard is like how often does the creator need to experience murder and stuff like that? You know, the idea is like, what if we just um, hypothesize here that there is such a thing as a, an opposing force that is there to um, to push us, you know, to push our our consciousness into realizing how powerful we really are. In order to do that, it has to express the opposite kind of power, and that power tends to be manifested in things that result in war and murder and, you know, just the whole spectrum of pain and fear that's in the world. There there seems to be um, really like this opposing force and whatever you want to call it. Some people call it an, an AI. Um, other people call it Satan. You know, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me, but it, what's clear to me is that, um, you know, this idea of an organization of some kind that is highly tuned and specifically assigned with the idea of pushing us to um, really like, like, you know, that scene. And if I can draw on a movie like The Matrix, for example, right? Well, Neo standing there and at some point 
he checks like he sees the code. He he checks that the whole thing is this matrix. And so the bullets aren't really bullets. And so he stops the bullets, right? And it doesn't matter what Smith does at that point. It was like, he's like not nearly as powerful as the person who's actually the creator being that perceives the matrix around it as simply something that's out there to give you information, which you can then respond to as like, I, I go back to this idea of the victim. And there's always that question that that film like that says, you know, if you get killed in the matrix, do you really die out here in reality, right? This is a very crux point here because, you know, this is something we are in a vulnerable physical bodies. And sure enough, if I'm too dumb and I go out and don't look left and right on a busy intersection, I could get smacked and done with from a car, right? Then it's over. But the idea of tuning your consciousness and understanding concepts of another force that opposes you presupposes that you're more alert, that you're um, like the Zen Buddhists talk about this um, state of, you know, being uh, really highly it attuned to the situation that you're in. There's these talks, there's these analogies of the master who walks up behind some practicing Zen student and smacks him over the head with a stick, right? And and he's, and then the student says, well, why did you smack me over the head with a stick? And the, and the master's like, well, you weren't paying attention. You were not in attention. So it's up to us to take attention to all the stuff that we have around us and see it as something which is the sum total of what we have at the moment. The moment is the you know is this sacred place that we're in. And if we take it for for everything it can be, then we will perceive it that we won't be caught off guard and we will begin to move away from seeing things like violence and the more of us that do that the more of us see the total unnecessary what do you say that necessity a total unnecessity uh for these kinds of barbaric acts around us that they're just there to kind of satisfy the people that are still trapped and not knowing who they are so apparently they need to feel fear and pain long enough for them to one day say what the hell man i'm done i'm done with this right and uh, right now we have people, you know, like yesterday I filmed a bunch of truckers with Tanya. We were, they were standing, we were standing down in town and they were coming around tractors and truckers and farmers. And they were saying enough is enough because the government basically said, we're going to trounce, you know, whatever, you know, take away this and take away that. And, and they said, that's the line we draw. Right. So that's kind of an analogy around us right now that we can say, well, we're reaching a point where we're saying, here's the line and no further. And that is the point where, you know, in the Hawkins scale, it's called 200, courage, right? Where we begin to realize that courage is the place where we stop and face what's facing us and see it for what it is rather than sticking our heads in the sand. Oh, man, you are on the right show here, dude. This is awesome. Okay, uh, I do want to touch on change. Uh, speaking of segues here, change topics completely and come back to something that you said earlier about the Project Looking Glass project that you've had. If you don't mind, just tell the audience a little bit of what you know about Project Looking Glass. Project Looking Glass is something that sort of emerged um, in the world that we know in the fringe and the science uh, and the secret space program world, I think around the end of the 90s, beginning beginning 2000s. And there were certain people that were coming forward that were describing a technology that they had participated in um, working with or that they had witnessed, which enabled, uh, which was in the form of a device, which enabled those who are operating the device to see into time streams. And th this allowed them to kind of follow trajectories of times into future probabilities. And they began, you know, working with these different probabilities, of course, in terms of, well, if since we know that this is the future, that this is something that's going to happen, and we're here now, what happens if, you know, we affect one of the elements that we've seen in the future here in our present? And is it still going to be there? Has it changed? And what sense has it changed? And they began to work on this kind of a concept for decades. And so whistleblowers came forward and were telling us about um, certain aspects of what they had seen. And I think it boils down to kind of the, the nutshell being there were two primary timelines which they witnessed. 
Now, I know there's probably people screaming out there saying, well, there's infinite numbers of timelines, et cetera, et cetera. But there is something called consensus timelines. And that means that for us to be able to exist together, like you and I are doing a show right now, we have to agree on certain things. And these things form a consensus. We agree that there's, you know, certain technologies. We, we agree in, in certain aspects of the world around us. Uh, and, you know, so these things begin to manifest as what I call consensus. And so consensus timelines, in the sense of that there being two timelines, has to do with what I was mentioning at the very beginning. They saw essentially a timeline in which technocratic, um, manipulative people take over uh, the world and begin to move us toward a kind of a dystopian future where we become trapped within a technological dictatorship, where we've lost our sovereignty, uh, we've lost our even our ability for movement, uh, and and they created this timeline which manifested itself as the ultimate power or control grid for those people who were in charge or in control of that timeline but they also saw another timeline which had to do with this you know sort of a waking up of a critical mass of people that said you know like well look we're not going to do this and we're going to create a different kind of world and they began to compete with each other and essentially one of those timelines took over and it's kind of like what I said before. And so right now um, with these whistleblowers and looking glass that came forward, the latest chapter was the one that I was talking about with the group calling themselves the guardians of the looking glass, which emerged, I guess, um, in 2022 uh, with this idea of like, this is the update. And they described more about the way that technology works. Uh, they described more about where it was found uh, they, they described more about um, how it works. And so, you know, I dug into it and I brought all kinds of different elements of it out that I'd never heard before because there'd been certain people out there that had said things about it, but I was never really satisfied with what they were saying. And I was, I was a lot of questions that were unanswered for me. So I began to probe and dig into it. So you, you find out a lot about the way it hangs together with certain things that began taking place in the 1940s, the late 1940s in America with certain crashed objects and reversed engineered technologies, which ultimately led to them finding a looking glass and, and working with the looking glass. So the looking glass in a way is nothing other than a technology which is there, which offers certain people who are running that technology the advantage of being able to avoid things, avert things or control things in the future. So did they know the craft? Let's just talk Roswell for specifics because you mentioned craft. Did they know that Roswell was going to occur before it occurred? Um, well, not up to the point where they actually first encountered it. You know, obviously not. Um, they, at that point, even after Roswell, it still took some time before they realized things like a looking glass because looking glass has to do also with navigation. It's a navigational aspect to the technology that they were using to traverse um, the space that they were in. In this particular case, those aliens or whatever, those ETs that were discovered, turns out to be not ETs, but actually future human beings. And they were using the looking glass navigational technology to come back to a time just before uh, something on Earth happens that leads to their future timeline. And there were two faction of those um, ETs, and they were they were called J-Rods. They were broken into two factions, one called P-45s, in other words, from 45,000 years in the future, and another group from 52,000 years in the future. And the 45s were, you know, just to simplify it, aligned with Illuminati elements, and P-52 elements were aligned with trying to help us to avert what's coming. And, um, you know, so essentially what you realize is that they're like orphans. If they succeed in preventing what happens and leads to their time, then they become orphans in the, uh, of the timeline that led to their future in our now. And if, if you look at it a little bit deeper, you can see that this idea of time loops might go all the way back to where the technology was first introduced 
to human beings, which goes all the way back to Sumeria. So was it the first time was that we know about it before Roswell? Kind of, but not really sort of. I hope that explains it a little bit. No, it does. And it's a perfect I mean, it's fascinating. Of course, like everything, it brings up more questions than anything. Right. So you wonder then if if it's all meant to be some per, sort of perpetual game and that the second that maybe we get close to an Eden or something like that, some force, some perhaps even virus of the realm, you know, or sim simulation, if that's what's occurring, seems to have the ability to come back and stop it before it starts. So then the question is, is we've all we've all had this like my grandma said it to her to her last breath. I'm going to Jesus is coming back in my time, but he didn't. Um, she came and went just like her mom said it, just like her mom's mom said it. Right. So there's this perpetual savior sort of idea, this concept. And I feel that the times we live in there, it, it hasn't changed. It's just gotten more elaborate. You know what I mean? It's they've swapped the Jesus for the aliens and now that's the new religion. So everybody's just sort of right. really ready for that to come in and save everyone because it's still sort of this mind fuck of a, yeah, even if we succeed, there's alien factions that are really us from the future, two different versions of them. And one wants to prevent a timeline, one wants to ensure it. Either one ensures the destruction of the other and they somehow have the right to mingle in what occurs with us. So then the question is, is I mean, is that part of some huge grand plan or is something ran amok here and screwing things up for us a little bit? Well, you know, the thing is, uh, the plan part of it, well, let's see, how am I going to break this down? First, the idea of the Savior, okay? This is another thing which I see a lot of in the world right now is this idea that in, in the modern, you know, lingo, I think in the Q movement, it's called the white hats or whatever. It's like the idea that there's this force, yeah, this greater than you, that is either an organized group or it's a person. Um, is an idea that in itself you could say uh, you could make a case for it being a psyop of some kind because the longer we keep waiting for some external force to intervene in the, in, in the shit that we see going on around us and not get up off of our own butts and do anything about it the longer it continues and the more it continues and so, I mean, the idea of, and the the other aspect was of the J-Rods is like, could they, what, what gives them the right to come back here and intervene? Now, this is an interesting question because if they were really extraterrestrials, in other words, they came from another uh, world altogether, planet Mars or Venus or wherever, someplace we don't even know way out in the galaxy or in another galaxy, um, do they have the right to intervene because we have something called free will? Actually, I don't believe they do. However, in the case of the J-Rods, there's a strange loophole there because they're not really extraterrestrials. They're us. <laughs> they're us, you know, from the future, right? So they are not intervening in anything other than what they've already been. They're, they're part of, this is an expanding version of consciousness that transcends even time, not just distances. And that it shows us that time itself is an illusion so that we have time existing in the past and we have time existing in the future and all of it is happening at the same time and there's some kind of a bleed through so there's no point really for me in arguing about you know how impossible is that and is it's not really according to the laws of physics and stuff the fact is it's manifesting around us and we're seeing evidence of it and that people are showing up and telling us these things and is it totally all a waste of time well, that was the thing that I went after because I wanted to know if it is a waste of time because I don't really want to waste my time or anybody else's. If it's real, then I want to know because I want to I want to I want to lead, um, you know, out of this limited perception and expand into this fullest potential that apparently is all dormant within all of us. And so what you do find is that whether it's it's funny because whether it's even true or not, Brendan, um, you begin to drill down into the, the the hypotheses and the statements made and you can find you know solid um scientific basis for a lot of the ideas in the emerging science like wave structure of matter for example right and when wave structure of matter if you look into it you realize that space basically is like this elastic band you know that stretches out in all directions and it's all based on resonance right so and and um this um if you think of it like a giant ocean and these vibrating rubber bands are waves and when those waves collide with each other really strange things happen they go into resonance and it's called scalar waves 
They're standing waves. They just stand still. You've probably seen some of those pictures. You can find them on YouTube where the waves suddenly just stand there, right? And if they collide in a circular way, they're creating a ball. And this ball aspect of things actually manifests itself as an electron and it acts like a particle. And so you find out that, you know, this space resonance and the structure of the matter around us is outside of space and time. But the moment that it collides like that and forms the illusion of matter, it actually is, it forms matter. So it doesn't depend on time, but it has all of the aspects of all the characteristics of whatever um, led to it being formed into a ball has to do with being in the same resonance. So, you know, all the structure around us is in a certain kind of resonance and that resonance can stretch out over vast distances. And, and, and that's something called non-locality where beings can, you know, uh, can, can feel stuff or communicate over vast distances that are really not, not distances at all because they have to do with this sharing of the same frequency resonance. So this is a thing that for me makes it interesting because at that point you realize that, okay, all that information is deposited there and it's all there for us to access. So maybe all of this circular stuff going on and all these stories about time travelers and all these things are really only there telling us one thing. And that is that we have to make this leap and we have the potential and the hardware is there to perceive it. And it's that crux that's going to bring us out of a repeated loop that keeps us in this kind of, um, you know, repetitive cycle of society rises, you know, some event happens, it crashes back down again, it rises slowly up again, it hits a high point, it crashes again, you know, this cycle at some point, I think even to the creator being gets boring and needs to be broken. So I think that's where we're at. That's, at that, that's the point that we're at right now. I'm going to be optimistic with you, um, and I agree with you that it does seem that that seems to be the modus operandi, this perpetual motion machine that is this soul factory uh, that just seems to spit out this redundant, boring, I mean, it's boring, right? Isn't that what it really is at the crux of it, us as all creators? It's more that there's just some fuckery going on. We're just bored, man. It's it's dumb. And so I'm I'm with you on this. On the other side of it, there there's a revolutionary idea here, and I don't, uh, um, what do you think about um, the astrology that plays into this? You you look into that at all it's sort of this pluto return and how last time that happened was during the french revolution and right now we're seeing just absolute balls out chaos everywhere do you think that has anything to do with it well you know i'm not so much of an expert on the astrological aspect of it brandon but i did look into the solar aspect of it because we did a film called solar revolution with a german biophysicist who was pursuing that idea that does the sun have an influence on human consciousness and when you look at the data you realize that yes indeed the solar cycles play a direct relationship to the rise and fall of civilizations. And when you get into the material, you realize that the sun itself is only part of a, a larger system and it itself has something called the heliosphere. And the heliosphere is like a great big envelope, of, uh, uh, like a protective envelope that, that, um, that stretches all the way around all of the planets in that are spiraling, you know, around it. And okay, I know there's people that don't believe that we have a spiral and there's no circle and it's all flat, but I'm, you know, that's their nut to crack. Okay. So you crack it, you figure it out and you report back to us. But the way I, the best model I've seen so far is the spherical model or the things that emulate spheres. It doesn't mean the earth couldn't be hollow or there couldn't be openings on the top and the bottom because of the direct pressures and, and gravitational pulls and forces. But the idea of the heliosphere being this protective envelope and when the sun um, goes through weaker phases or stronger phases, its heliosphere expands and contracts, just like your own biosphere. We each have, what we don't realize is that our bodies have something called a biosphere, an invisible aspect that stretches up to four meters from your body. And that's actually the real part of your immune system, if there is such a thing, because uh, people wonder, you know, like, how do you get sick and how do waves of sickness happen? It has to do with this biosphere. And when your biosphere is feeling down and when you're feeling down or depleted, you contract just like the sun does. And you're more susceptible and vulnerable to things around you or, you know, your information that maybe you're supposed to process gets through, whereas before you were blocking it. Um, and the sun is no different. The sun, if you look at it as a being in, in the holistic sense, will contract and it'll expose us to things coming from outside of our galaxy. And that's precisely what's happening right now. In fact, we are getting um, physically 
impregnated with particles and radiation and frequencies uh, which we normally uh, haven't been historically we've never actually been going through a place in the universe where we are right now where we're getting so much energy and the question always comes up and this is something i always talk to Dieter about is this really just an accident or is this a cosmic orchestration like what is the coincidence that just happens to be right now the sun happens to be in this particular place of the galaxies, the arms of the Milky Way galaxy, where it's exposed to much more direct energy than it ever was for a long time, just at the exact same point where the heliosphere is contracting, the magnetosphere is contracting, the and simultaneously, by coincidence, the Earth's magnetosphere is contracting as well and getting weaker and weaker. And so all of this stuff is playing to, to the point where it's affecting us physically, it's affecting our brains, it's bringing frequencies into contact with something called the pineal gland, which resonated a certain frequency, in this case 150 megahertz, which happens to be the frequency which triggers us uh, and triggers and connects us to, you could say, hyperspace, the source field information. Um, is this all just a coincidence, right? And and the size of the Earth, you know, the even the size of the Earth plays a role in all of this because you've probably heard of something called Schumann resonances lately. A lot of people are reporting on the Schumann frequencies and they're around eight hertz. Well, that has to do with the fact uh, it's the direct relationship between the size of the Earth, the electromagnetic charge that's taking place all around in the form of lightnings and the speed of light. You know, you factor that all together and and the fact that the sun and all these things are affecting us and that the earth is a certain size which is expanding by the way over a long time means that the schumann frequencies just happen to be right now at eight hertz the primary frequency what does that mean well andrew puharich was a researcher who showed us that eight hertz was a one frequency which penetrates through all matter nothing can stop it it's like it's a magical frequency and it's interesting it's the number eight right what does eight symbolize infinity right so you have all these amazing cosmic coincidences, as I say, uh, playing toward what? Well, it just happens that it seems to be that our pineal gland resonates at 8 hertz as well, which means it opens us up to higher forms, higher density, higher frequency of information. Could this be the information that we need as a species to push us to realize that we are like far more capable as creator beings than we would ever imagine because we've just been kept down through school books and through that other force I was describing earlier, which would rather prefer to keep us inside of a cage where they can control us because they themselves don't believe in their limitless power as creator beings, right? This is the question that we're talking about here. This is the ultimate direction that we're going into right and it's so you have to ask yourself as a scientist you can you can prove all this stuff this isn't just fringe or woo woo this stuff is really going on is it all coincidence it's the question because that's based on your perspective it's got nothing to do with actual truth it's based on how you perceive reality which is just fascinating to me and this is another thing i've been talking about lately honestly the only belief i've got i have narrowed it down to one belief my friend frank we found one belief i have uh, it is that uh, this is a realm of temporary truths. Whatever you know now for damn certain, whatever that is, what you are, what gravity is, what realm is, what cups are, any of that kind of shit, it's going to change. It's probably going to change. And I think that is the true awakening. When people can start asking questions to that degree, maybe not, you know, you'll start asking the ones, what's going on around me? How could I be so fooled? Yes, you're are, are our governments all intergenerational crime families, you know, things like that. You'll ask those questions, but then you'll kind of get to the point where you're just like, okay, well, what's next? And that what's next, I think, is just this open availability to seeing the paradoxes here and seeing that this place contradicts itself constantly. It is riddled with cosmic coincidences, but as far as consensus reality goes, that I have an argument for. It's a, an argument against, rather. It just feels like that so many things in this reality are so subjective, even in the phenomena itself. You're looking outside, one person sees it, one person doesn't. One person sees aliens, one person sees demons. One person sees these things that are future humans and come coming back in time machines, and then the other one um, sees an angel. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's all of these sort of subjective, just radically subjective reality that we find ourselves in that we're all trying to convince each other is sort of the same place and it's fascinating man it's it's all mental is what i'm really trying to figure out uh sort of figuring out here on on a deep level it's all just about the mind man sure i'll play sure. yeah you know and the thing is we've um you know it is um 
you I mean you can you can show that that these uh realizations and these particular coincidences which we are in the middle of right now haven't always been so it isn't it is a unique situation and unique place we're in it isn't just the same old same old chaos the chaos and stuff and the patterns and things that are around us yes we've generated those and we keep generating those but the underlying truth of the matter is that we that all this stuff gen emanates from us from us individually and collectively as a group when we go into resonance and you know so i mean even we we did a show with um uh, about the paranormal um back in you know i think it was 2018 tanya and i were producing this show here in germany and we had there was this German paranormal researcher called Lukadu, and he came into the show and he was telling us something that really kind of blew my mind because he said that he went and investigated um, like really hundreds of cases of paranormal events that had happened in certain places. People, people would have like in their basement, you know, walls would cave in and like weird entities, you know, would be speaking. And 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 he went and visited them and, and he said and, and pretty much virtually every single case with very few exceptions the ultimate conclusion was the source of the paranormal experience was the person so that is only just saying and in, in, in a way it's evidence for the fact that we are far more powerful than we are willing to give us credit for we're afraid of our power because you know we've been we've been we've had all this stuff laid on us like you know you're an ego yourself you know self-obsessed whatever and like if you say stuff like that right but the fact is what if we really are these powerful creator beings and we've just been convinced that we're not and we've been given guilt trips and limited thinking and limited concepts of science just to sort of keep us from making that leap um, and that's one one thing that's a little bit different now because you could say, okay, maybe back in the days of the, you know, people say, talk about the Anunnaki and, and the Sumerian kings and that those were the, you know, that was when the Anunnaki was here, et cetera, et cetera. You can argue for that. Um, okay, let's say that is the case, but something happened between then and now, which we went into a state of unconsciousness, several more rises and falls of civilization. And yet here we are again at a place that's a place we've never at we've never been at before because every single moment is unique even though maybe the same souls came and revisited here what they uh created around them was different it wasn't the same as it is now and we have a chance right now to make something special and amazing and it comes down to whether we really believe that we are the creator beings that we are or whether we just want to fall into the darwinian concept of everything's an accident nothing has any real meaning it's just all a bunch of rocks and molecules that collide together over eternity that one day results in consciousness this is kind of the crux moment here because we we do have to make and this evolutionary leap that we're talking about here hasn't been something i invented or anybody else but in fact it's been something that even indigenous people have talked about it seems to be um encoded into this reality that we have around us and it manifests in forms of prophecy rocket hopi land and other parts of the world where you see the same potential that is coming upon us again and again so something of and there are also cases where literally thousands and thousands of inhabitants of areas of the planet literally vanished overnight that are unsolved mysteries nobody knows what happened to them could it be that they had those moments where suddenly they realized that collective, um, you know, that um, that tipping point was reached where a certain minimum amount of people, you know, like they say, the shaman saw the boat and then all the others saw the boat, right? There was this moment where all of a sudden everyone gets it and then something happens and you actually maybe shift into a, another dimension, meaning that the perception of those you've left behind isn't able to see you because they're still in the dimension they were in before that realization happens and so does it all happen at once i don't know maybe not but it is i think on the um cusp and that's i think that's what interests me and i mean i think that's a worthwhile pursuit otherwise you really are looking at this idea like you know this yuval harari version of the world 
uh, <laughs> where essentially you have to just succumb to the forces that are in control. As much as you want to try to pretend that's different, or you you know that you can talk about Jesus or being spiritual, as you know Harari says it. You know he says like this idea of Jesus and the Messiah that's all fake news, right? I mean that's where it's at, right? So this is where we're at right now. It's a very exciting place, I, I would say, right now. So I think it's worth it going for the idea that we're these super amazing biocomputers and i've found evidence that we have the bio hardware which enables us to make those quantum evolutionary leaps and so i'm going to stick to that concept and if it isn't and if i'm not right and you know i end up in that other place anyway well i'm going to get there no matter what so at least i, I tried and you know at least i can say I, I can look at myself in the mirror and say you know what you were part of the group of people that were trying to elevate things in a certain direction and not part of the people that were apathetic and just succumbed to a, a definitive and limited form of reality that's what's so interesting is that um we all have people around us that are on the side that is not going to be the side that we're on but we needed to know that that side existed to create the side that we're on because it's it's juxtaposed right it's in relationship to the outer world around you that's how you gauge where you are and, and grow so it's interesting then to think that you know at some point all of these people would just go ah you got it wrong and then just burst into flames or have to do this again because they didn't perceive the information correctly, but it seems that in this place of balanced energies and all that, had they not had played their role, the awakening would not have occurred at all. So it seems silly by system standards to punish that which, which played it role per, its role perfectly so that we could air quotes wake up right absolutely like i love that idea that's a critical point too because i i don't like the idea of saying those bad guys over there and these good guys here right because you hit it you hit it right on the head those people are there to push us as well and we can't and we have to be we can't be talking about oneness and love and forgiveness and all this stuff and then you know as soon as we we find out they're the bad guys like you know like it's like it's got to be like okay guys you did a great job but honestly you either shift or you shift on out of here it's like there's no place you know and i see the new world as being not something where one battles the other out i see it more as in terms of there's this crux moment where a certain idea just no longer resonates with enough people it just fades away you know it just it just goes away you know because it's like at some point you know you realize okay well you know um this thing isn't true any longer so why continue believing in something you know like okay maybe there isn't the santa claus okay santa claus doesn't exist all right i gotta go on okay i'm i'm sorry for all those people who believe in santa claus maybe he does exist but you know like there you know it's just an analogy right like you reach a point where you okay well santa claus was just a fairy tale and it you don't need it any longer to move forward and and then santa claus falls away in your adult world right so similar kind of things are going to start happening we're going to start seeing the idea that hey we don't need carbon combustible engines because another form of technology exists and it's been uh hovering out there for well over 100 years it just has never been able to find uh, its feet you know but suddenly it starts to find its feet and it catches enough ground with enough critical mass of people that it's actually real and then it's like, okay, well, we now know this is real, so we no longer need the other thing. Do we need to kill the other thing right away? No, but we can say, okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We don't need this anymore. Let's phase it out, and we'll move toward a new world, gradually and painless, as painlessly as possible, and as less with as less judgment as possible. The challenge is you hear those, the people in the industries that we're looking to get away from murdering the people who are coming up with the revolutionary technologies in their garages right. uh, that will obliterate them and create them make them non non-existent non-relevant so it's like a right. self a self survival mechanism from this evil entity if you want to put it that way but you know so what is that is it just that enough people uh prop up to be able to create these hydrogen cars out of their garages in fast enough fashion to where they just can't kill them all well we have to make the ground safe for those people and we haven't we haven't been very successful at that you know, if we look at Klaus Schwabsters and all of his groups and his meetings and stuff, I mean, they meet in the best hotels, they eat have caviar and champagne, they're having a high life, right? Uh, and they're organized. If you look at their website, and you dig down and drill down into their graphs, I mean, they've got it all mapped out, you know, and they're making the ground safe, so to speak, for their ideas and that they're finding, you know, puppets that they can implant within governments to be able to execute their policies. 
And just by the same token that you saw certain people, and for example, when COVID struck, there were doctors over here in Europe that were coming forward and saying, no, this is this is crap. This isn't real. This isn't, you know, this is not real. And instead of people saying, okay, let's take a closer look, they had them arrested, you know, and they were thrown in jail, right? So this is what we need to start seeing and is in a world where we don't, we see headlines that say the opposite. <laughs> and that has to do with the fact that people make the ground safe for any other technological ideas or biological ideas and things that we want to explore. And right now we, you know, we are, we're at that point where it isn't yet quite safe, but we're starting to see that there is enough um, movement out there consciously with awakening, as you want to call it, uh, where people are going, okay, well, the narrative doesn't work anymore. Something's wrong and they feel it. And there's this sort of maybe an unseen critical mass of people you don't really hear about you right now. You really kind of only see the people that are public, the people that are pushing one way or the people pushing the other way. But there's a mass of people underneath that are that are picking all this information up from the field, too. And they are at some point going to go, wait a minute, you know, we're not going to let that arrest happen. They're going to show up at the jail where that person was arrested and they're by the thousands. And the, it's going to make the wardens very, very nervous, as well as the politicians. They're going to have to go just like the farmers now that are, you know, on the trucks out there in Germany, they're going to force the politicians to go, OK, wait a minute, we can't do this. This is dangerous for us. They're probably just going to kill us if we go out there in public. So we have to make some concessions. This is the way I think it's going to work. It's just like we have to, but we have to become aware that we need to do our part. We need to be part of a wave of people that are going to allow this new world to come. And we're going to have to be vocal about it in our own little way, in our own communities, in our own small circles, if necessary. Not everybody's going to be out there in the public, you know, doing speaking tours and stuff like that. But each of us in our own way has to take responsibility for allowing this technology and these inventions in this future to actually get rooted here and become like frequency anchors. Outstanding, man. Uh, I tell you what, we're going to wrap it up here in just a little bit. I just want to know what your thoughts are on portals before we go. Um, what kind of portals? <laughs> just any of like the difference, honestly, between portals and stargates. Can you clear that up for us? Okay, well, portals are kind of, uh, and stargates are, um, you could say there are places in and around us, on the earth, in space, underground, that have unique um, geophysical qualities and that they are kind of focal points of energy. And it's going back to even the looking glass, the technology is on the one hand technical, but it only works when you put it in proximity of such an energy point. And there are people that will tell you about energy points in the desert that they've been to where they've experienced weird time anomalies. There are things like that over here in Europe as well. There's mountains and areas where there's anomalous behavior, time shifts happen, energy shifts happen. So when you, and there's, and there's people that have developed technology, which is designed to tap into that particular energy and perform the function of teleportation um, or opening up to um, you know, other dimensions and get information and beings to come through. Uh, it's interesting when we were in, in Vienna last month, we had the privilege of being in the found, foundational um, location of the Templars in Europe and on the walls in, in uh, ultraviolet lights that nobody could see it except those who had the technology to decipher or to create ultraviolet light, which they had could see the symbolism and we saw the same symbols um on the walls in ultraviolet that were that i saw earlier in the year when i went to hopi land and i saw on the prophecy rock there were certain symbols on that as well and um thomas banyakia has a drawing he talks about that he show or he's not alive anymore but when he was as the ambassador of the hopi elders he would show a diagram with certain symbols on it and i had to laugh because those exact same symbols are the ones that appeared a thousand years ago in the walls of the templar knights and they one of them is actually the symbol of what looks like a portal opening with flames around it and a person standing directly in front of it so do portals exist i'm absolutely convinced and there is technology which people utilize to um to enter those portals to bring information through and to travel through those portals so they can be stargates or they can be, be portals whatever you want to call them but that's what i'm talking about and those things are definitely i think part of some of the mysteries around us that we have yet to discover or rediscover 
it's a super mystery because you hear about this missing 411 stuff and this idea of free will yeah. then coming into you wandering into a portal. Do you have the free will to wander into an area like the Bermuda Triangle or something? Uh, you hop on a flight to Malaysia and then now you're just three UFOs swirl your plane and now you're gone kind of a thing. Like, that's fascinating to me how these sort of just, oh, well, you got scooped up by Dogman. Oh, well, you get walked into a portal. You should have been watching where you're going. Yeah, we know you can't see them, but... Some people around you can see them, and they maybe should have told you, and that's just too bad. It's just interesting how many sort of manholes there is to fall in around here, right? Well, yeah, absolutely, and I think there are those who do walk into them accidentally, and that there are, there are those people who walk into them deliberately, or to tune into them deliberately. And just like, you know, like anything out there, um, it has to do with your attention. So, yeah. So <laughs> interesting, man. Uh, Frank Jacob, this has been fa fascinating and fantastic, so I'll just say both of the words in one word. I'll attempt to there. Uh, all the ways, of course, to find you will be located down in the show description. I mean, just give us something to get you out of bed every morning, man. Wow. Okay, well, what gets me out of bed in the morning is I'm, I decide to do certain projects and get involved in certain things that I know are going to rock the planet. So, so every day I get up and I get to file away, you know, on those projects and bring them closer to the moment where that rocking of the planet will take place. And so, yeah, I just hope I never run out of ideas and motivation and physically I'm able to perform those things and have the stamina and the mind to be able to participate in things moving forward. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.